Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. ...and uncomfortable topics in the Christian faith. Uh, the concept of hell, uh, it's one of the biggest roadblocks to Christianity and for a lot of good reason that we're going to get into this morning. But when it comes to this topic, I'll never forget... Uh, the moment where I'm sitting on the couch and my Palestinian Muslim flatmate at the time turned to me and she said, oh, I believe in hell. Uh, she said, uh, we were taught as kids when we're in our version of what you guys would call Sunday school that if we did anything wrong, then a giant snake would come up from the ground and eat us and pull us down into hell. <laughs> right? um, I thought, okay, fair enough. Wow, okay. Um, whether... Whether it's, whether it's that or the other imagery that we're used to, uh, there's no denying that most of the ma major religions and uh, spiritual systems around the world uh, believe in some sort of concept of hell, of eternal, evil, spiritual suffering. But sadly, <laughs> over the years, um, the church, let's get back to Christians, the church has used this concept to scare the daylights out of people into believing in Jesus, right? Maybe you've come from that background. Maybe that's been your story. Maybe if you're watching this morning and you've clicked on this YouTube link because you wanted to know about this topic, maybe that's the very reason that you're not coming to faith. Because here's the objection. If this God of yours, Christians, is so loving, then how could he possibly send people to hell? How could he do that? <laughs> one of the great roadblocks to the faith. And I don't know about you, but uh, for me, when I, when I deal with this, it, it's kind of over the years placed me in that space where I've, I, I'm in one or two different spaces with this. Either, either I just try to deny it and minimize it, where hell is kind of like the concept of going to the dentist. You know, you kind of have to deal with it, but you really don't like to think about it very much, right? Um, or we can try and understand it, which is what I'm hopefully going to do for us this morning when it comes to this topic. And depending on the way that you view hell, you know, ironically, the overflow of your understanding of hell either can be a snake from the ground pulling you back in fear-based religion, uh, or it actually can drive you into a religion full of love and of gratitude. And so let's look at what Jesus says about hell, because if we're thinking about the roadblocks of the faith, there's no better person than to see and to listen to other than Jesus himself. And first and foremost, what we see from Jesus is he says quite clearly that there is a place, an eternal place that is not very nice. I mean, would it surprise you that Jesus spoke about hell more than anyone else in scriptures? And so I guess the first thing that we've got to deal with, if you're like me on the dentist denial end of the spectrum, is to say Jesus spoke about hell all the time. And so we see in one of the passages in uh, the Bible, it's, it's in a long section of red writing called the parables or the stories of Jesus, where Jesus is there trying to tell the world and his followers about the big things in life. What is God like? What is heaven like? How do you serve him well? And up pops this topic through a story called the rich man and Lazarus. And basically the summary of the story is that a, a rich man gets sent down to hell and we'll see the descriptions of all of that. And he pleads that someone would send a warning signal uh, back up to earth so that all of his family and friends wouldn't be subjected to that. 
And we pick it up in Luke 16, verse 22, where it said, The time came when the beggar died and angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. To which you're all going, you're not helping yourself, buddy. <laughs> like that's, that's exactly how the world views hell, right? The world views hell like this picture here, you know, it's, it's that kind of spooky thing. Yeah, put it down, Peter. I don't, I don't want the kids to see. We've got, we've got babies in the room, right? <laughs> right? But, you know, th- we view hell as this imagery of this lake of fire and people in torment. And what's surprising is that that type of imagery of hell really didn't exist all that much in a first century Jew. It existed more so throughout the medieval era and the artwork would explain it. The point being though, you see in Jesus throughout the scriptures, he talks about hell as a lake of fire where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, where there is torment. He talks about hell as Gehenna, a trash heap outside of Jerusalem. And so the point being is that all of the biblical commentators unanimously agree, whether it's lakes of fire, torment, trash heaps, all of that is not a literal description of hell. In fact, and I don't want to, I don't want to scare you, but as, as, as scary as those things say, the point of Jesus and his teaching is that hell is, is not only kind of that metaphorically, but it's far worse. And so the point being, if Jesus spoke about it all the time, and we've got lakes of fire and torment and all the rest of it, it's just saying to us, there is a place eternally that's not a nice place to be. To which you're saying, well, hang on, why would a loving God send people to, to that? How, how can he be a loving God? You know, he's just an angry judge, right, is, is the argument of people around us. To which I would say to you, you want an angry judge, but you want a good angry judge. What we see from Jesus is, is there's t- the, the teaching... Over and over again, he teaches there will be a day in which people are called to account for the actions in this life. In other words, there's a courtroom, God's the judge. And if you talk to people, they say, yeah, but you know, in this uncomfortable bracket, they say, well, I don't, no, I, I, like to, I like to think God is just, is just a loving God. You know, he, just, he just loves people. To which I would say to you, but hang on, no, you need a God who gets angry at things, particularly a God who gets angry at the things that are wrong with this world. And here's why, as, as Mrslav Wolf, the theologian, says, a God who does not get angry at the injustice of the world is not a God worthy of worship. See what he's saying there? Like, I mean, could, could, you, handle a, could you handle a God who sees the exploitation of children around the world? And could you see a God who sees um, dictators ruling countries and oppressing their people and sees all these horrible things that we see in the world and go... Uh, it just says, that doesn't matter. What kind of God is that? I, w- I would push you whether you're a person of faith or not. You, you want a God who gets angry at the injustice of the world. A God who's not like that is not worthy of worship. And not only that, if you see God as a, good, as a good God who gets angry at the wrong things, then it helps you deal with the injustices of, of the world. Barry talked about suffering a couple of weeks back here. And what, what someone like Wolf, the, the theologian, would say is, see, the real question for us is, how do we deal with the injustice in the world and not get so angry that we're led to violence, right? 
How is it that when we see the things that we're angry with and sets us off, that we don't, we don't go murder people because of this? And look, you guys have been able to control yourselves because of this concept of a good and a loving judge. You, you control yourself, I control myself exactly the same way that um, Steve Carter did in one of the All Blacks games that I saw. You know, the guy almost had his eye like physically gouged out by one of the wallabies. And um, how he didn't absolutely flatten the guys and strangle him, I, I don't know, except I do know because in rugby union, the esteemed, um, oh, just honourable sport that it is, right? <laughs> in rugby, and I think even rugby leagues caught on with this, they, they have this, this fascinating thing called the video referee. Have you heard of that? There's a video referee. And the whole reason why Carter doesn't have to knock someone's block off it's because he knows it's, it's going to the video referee. You've seen that in rugby league, right? Something horrible happens on the game. What's that signal? On report. On report. Because they know that there is a good judge up in the video land and there is a just judge who will fairly look at all the facts and deal and, with the consequences and hand them out. And as a result, it, it, they're able to withhold their violence in the face of eye-gouging injustice. <laughs> right? See the point? You, you, you want a God who gets angry at the injustice of the world, a loving God, to which you say, oh, well, if God's an angry judge, then he can't be loving. And we kind of have set God up to say, oh, if he's full of wrath, then love's over here and wrath's over here. You know, he's either all loving or he's all wrathful. You know, and preachers over the years have, have used either ends of the spectrum to kind of push people into their version of conversion, <laughs> Right? But you say, how can someone be full of love and wrath at the same time? It's not possible. Here, listen to this. All loving people are sometimes filled with wrath, not regardless of their love, but because of their love. And hear me out in all of this. Um, a pastor friend of mine that um, I was hanging out with at Senior Ministers over the years we've been journeying together, uh, his son became a drug addict. It, and it's, it was so confusing for him because as a pastor, you know, that sort of stuff's not supposed to happen to you. This poor bloke was watching his son um, get caught up in all sorts of um, serious sorts of drugs. And they were having bikey types turn up to his door and bang on the door searching for him, have to deal with the police and everything that was happening in that space. Now, in the middle of that, do you think, do you think my pastor friend sits there and goes, ah, oh, it doesn't matter, I'll just love him? No, he got, he got angry. Of course he doesn't like these characters turning up there. And most of all, of course he doesn't like his son going through all of this stuff that's happening to him in his life. And so in other words, what he was experiencing in, in that moment was his wrath towards that which was destroying what he loves. That, 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 in, that in wrath, that, that the love doesn't become less. In fact, love becomes more intense. When God gets angry, God doesn't get angry because he, oh, he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. <laughs> God's not emotional. In fact, that's what wrath is. You know, we often think anger, anger to God or wrath to God is not, it's not an emotion. Wrath is settled opposition to that which is destroying what you love. I'll say it again. Wrath is settled opposition to that which is destroying what you love. My pastor friend, he was not angry, he was wrathful. Something was destroying what he loved. 
If you're not wrathful, what sort of father are you? He's a loving father. God's anger is aroused whenever someone moves into the realm to destroy that which he loves. I'll tell you what else is wrathful. Those big, you know those big funny teeth in car parks that if you drive the wrong way? Have you ever seen them that tear up your tires? That is just a, that's just a living example of wrath, right? If you want to drive over it the right way, nothing happens. You want to move against it, it will shred you. Has it being emotional? No. That's, that's God's wrath. God's wrath is a set of metal teeth in a car park. There you go. You can quote me on Twitter. <laughs> we need a good and a just and a wrathful God who sets up his opposition to that which destroys what he loves. So there is a place. And yes, God does get wrathful when people want to move in and against the things that he loves. The other thing we see from this scripture is that hell is not some fiery place where God places people for his enjoyment. You know, a lot of people think that hell is this place where God sends them down a trapdoor and he's like, suckers, right? No, hell is not a fiery place, but it is merely the absence of God himself. Second Thessalonians 1.9 says, it describes hell like this, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled among all those who believed. So the way to describe it is that there will become a day where everyone, every man and woman will come to the day where everyone is coming to a giant party to acknowledge God as God, as this wonderful, beautiful, self-directing, personal power, bright, shining light. And there will come a time where there's a bunch of people doing that and then there's a bunch of people who aren't. They will be shut out. And in fact, the scariest words to Jesus are not condemnation from the Lord, but depart from me. Hell's the absence of God. Hell is the absence of God. Here's the way I describe it. Um, have you ever had this situation as a kid where um, I was in Grace Brothers back in the 80s before it was Maya? And I, I was at Grace Brothers and as a kid I decided that I was just going to go off running around all the kids' area because mum was looking at some clothes that were boring. And, and I, would, I would run away and then I would kind of see where she is and then I would run a bit further away and I'd see a bit more and I'd run away and do my thing until I came back and I looked and she wasn't there anymore. And have you ever been in that situation as a small kid? Anyone been in a small kid? That, that instant moment and the terror that's in your stomach when you look and mum and dad's not there. Anyone experienced that? Show of hands. Yeah. <laughs> right? Hell is this. Hell is that instant, magnified by a billion, and going on for eternity. That's hell. Hell is the, hell is the absence of God. And it's quite clear that there comes a point in time where where there's a moment in which the father himself says, fine, have it your way. I'm not coming looking for you anymore. We feel that feeling multiplied. That's hell to me. My final point this morning, though, is if it's not fire, but an absence of him, God doesn't necessarily send people to hell, they send themselves. In other words, as Dallas Willard said, and you've got to get this, because I think we've been brought up in the snake out of the groom out of the ground type mentality. Please hear this this morning. You don't miss heaven by a whisker. 
right? I, th- I think our kind of view is, maybe you're kind of feeling awkward and uncomfortable this week because you heard that the preacher was talking about hell. And so you start going through this mental inventory of going, what did I get up to this week? Right? And I think people have this, this view that we're walking through life, the narrow road, as Jesus puts it. We're on the narrow road. And if we just slip off the edge of the narrow road, then we slip down into the fiery pits of hell. You don't miss heaven by a whisker. <laughs> I think it's 2 Peter 3 says that he wishes that no one perishes. God doesn't want to see people there. He's constantly after them. And we see this, that, that hell is not so much somewhere where God banishes people, but they send themselves. And the clues in the commentary of this passage, it's the parable of who? You've got your pericopes open, those little titles. It's a parable of the rich man at Lazarus. An interesting question, why is it not the parable of Jerry and Lazarus? Have you noticed that? Why is it not Jerry and Larry? <laughs> right? it, there's, there's a rich man who's unnamed and there's a poor man who's named. I think Jesus is, hot, is hinting at, at, at the rich man's sin here because class, go back to our, our idolatry series. Sin is not necessarily good be- deeds versus bad deeds or a slip up. Sin is when we build our identity on something other than God. And so here we have a man that has so built his identity on something other than God that that is who he became, the rich man. Jesus is hinting that his sin was not some little slip-up, but he'd built an identity for himself that became so paramount in his life that the Lord said, okay, you can have that identity forever, rich man. See how that gets you. Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God, quotes C.S. Lewis on this that says it so well. Hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you are distinct from it. You may even criticise it in yourself and wish you could stop it, but there may come a day when you can no longer, and then there will be no you left to criticise the mood or even to enjoy it, but just the grumble itself, going on forever like machine. Wow. See what he's saying? Not so much that God is sending us to hell, but there is something in each of us, an ember of the fires of hell, that will be hell unless we nip it in the bud. That if in the sense that we've talked about that heaven is not some place in the sky, but the kingdom of heaven is present now, going on for all eternity, that you exist now, that you are being transformed into your eternal likeness now. There is something within us and a part that we have that either leads to the kingdom of heaven or ultimately, if left unchecked, with the Father eventually saying, have it your way, will lead to hell. God's not waiting there for you to slip up. And wonderfully, as Willard says it, it changed the way that I thought about all of this as God is the big judge. He said... For the person who eventually has come to think of themselves as God, then maybe eternity away from the one true God may well be the most gracious place to be. You hear that? If you think you're God, if you think you're it, if you think the world revolves around you, you want to know what hell looks like for eternity for that type of person? Having to go to the big party. If you think you're God and you've got to stand in front of the one true God. (laughs) Ironically, in that space, the all-consuming fire, C.S. Lewis said, the the fires of heaven may well outstrip the fires of hell. (laughs) 
You don't want to be in front of that God if you are thinking that you are God. You still with me? It's deep, isn't it? It's been confusing. I think the tension for me in all of all of this is I is a come to explore this topic is that so much of the Western Christian world has been born out of this punitive, fear-based, trapdoor-based mentality where we stoke the fires of hell for the kids at Sunday school and in everyone else's lives in order, in order to scare them into following Jesus. More than that, you know, as C.S. Lewis once said, uh, we, we turn up all of the heat so that we preachers may offer them a bottle of water. <laughs> And I think what we see in the heart of the Father here is that God's desire is that no one perishes. That Jesus comes to lead us into a life of beauty and freedom. A life that starts now and continues to move more and more into the likeness of Him. Which is if that is you in the case with all of your imperfections and all of the stuff that you've done wrong. When we come to believe in Him that is, that is in Him. He who had no sin, became sin, so they, we might be right with God. Of course, in the technical legal sense, Christians rely upon uh, the life and the death of Jesus Christ to assure us of our rightness with God. But we must never treat it as some Willy Wonka ticket that stops us from copping a snake out of the ground. God's desire is to say, yes, this is a place for those who seek to be God themselves. But it is the clear pattern of this God throughout all of the scriptures and the most potent example itself that this loving judge, the one that seems so wrathful and punitive when he has to deal with this legal arrangement where he said no sin can exist with me, when he has to deal with the injustice and the evil in the world, including my own little embers of it all, that he sends his only son as, his, as an advocate, that he sends his only son as the great lawyer and he says... At one day when I will face the great judge, he will, he will take me there and Jesus will be b beside me and I won't say a word. And Jesus, the advocate, will be there before the good and loving judge and he'll say, Lord, here's Sam. Did he do, did he do enough prep for his sermon that week? Probably not. <laughs> Has he been a good boy throughout his life? No, but I died for him. And you're a good judge and you're a just judge and you're a judge that works upon the basis of your law and last time I checked, Lord, you said there's no such thing as double jeopardy and I've paid the price for him on the cross. And so, Lord, good and loving judge, I don't, I don't ask for your mercy in all this sort of situation. I ask for your justice. <laughs> I, I died for him and, and the rope into heaven is ushers Sam in, not on the basis of what I've done, but what he's done. Of course, we Christians have that assurance. But most and first and foremost, when we come to understand that this place of hell is a place that Jesus warned about, being away from God for eternity is not a nice place to be. Being with him forever is the most magical and wonderful place that we can. And of course, that question that many would have, you can turn up to Super Connect this week and we'll talk about it tomorrow night. Well, what about my friend that doesn't believe? What about my friend over there? What about my friend who believes kind of in God, but they've never said the sinner's prayer and so I'm not sure what's going to happen? There's no such thing as the trapdoor. Can I say to you this morning, whatever God's answer is to all of that, it will be more merciful than you can imagine. And so as a result, I hope and pray that we can walk out of this place with an understanding of hell 
that when we see in the person of Jesus Christ at the cross who said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's happening in that moment? He was experiencing the absence of God and in the truest sense experienced hell for himself. When we see that in the person of Jesus Christ, then we, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, we'll never, until we know how much it cost him, we'll never know whether to shake his hand or to kiss his feet. So we see Jesus' role in all of this. It, it moves us to not a snake-out-of-the-ground type religion, but one that I look forward to, of a Lord who says, come, follow me, learn to walk as I did, come with a freedom and a confidence knowing where you are going and that we will learn to build the best version of you, Sam, forever. And that need not be anything that you need worry about. Let's pray. Lord, I'm conscious that this is such an awkward, tricky concept to bring across in this time. And all I would pray, Father, is that your spirit has worked amongst us, that we have been able to sense and know, Lord God, through your Holy Spirit, your deep love, merciful love for us. We thank you for your settled opposition to all that is wrong with the world around us. I would pray this week as each of us, wherever we sit in the faith spectrum, move into mulling this reality through in our minds that you would guide us and you would meet us in that space that as we seek to expand our our knowledge of hell at the same time our knowledge and understanding of you would be correspondingly expanded and so lord i commit each and every one of us to the time that we will spend with you this week and pray for those two this morning, whether they are watching in online or whether they're with us this morning that have been confused at one end of the spectrum or even indignant at their perception of you in this whole topic, Lord, that they would see you more clearly. They would see you more clearly through your son Jesus and what it is that he has done for us and the way that he has taught us this morning. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.